You're listening to The Profile. Hi, welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing Christian leaders in the church and charity worlds and in the wider culture. It was John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence for God, whether in the home, at church, in your workplace or elsewhere. The show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. Now, the use of military metaphors are, of course, quite common in the Bible. Paul says to his young friend Timothy in his second letter, chapter two, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Well, I'm delighted to be joined on the leadership show by someone who served at a high level in the British Army. Now retired Major General Tim Cross served in the army for 36 years until 2007 was involved in the conflicts in Northern Ireland, the Gulf War and the Kosovo War, when he was responsible for coordinating multinational troops and civilian agencies in establishing refugee camps in the aftermath, and for which he was awarded a CBE. His last command was as a general officer commanding theatre troops in Iraq. He was the most senior British officer involved in post-war planning for the country. Shortly after he was on this show, reflecting on the failure of Allied forces to provide an adequate post-war strategy. In his retirement, he's involved in speaking and lecturing and is a licensed lay reader in the Church of England. I look forward to chatting with him about how he's found serving in church and charity settings compared to the military world. So welcome, Tim, to the Leadership Show. Thanks very much, Andy. When when we planned this show, I hinted that the uh, Israel-Gaza conflict might still be underway. And as we record, alas, there seems to be uh, no sign of an end. Premier listeners may have heard your Assessment of things. Can you just give us a brief summary as a military man? Yeah, sure. I think. Um, well, the first thing I say is that that, that um, we mu- we mustn't lose sight of the fact that Hamas are a terrorist organisation. They're not fighting this war in the way that armies are supposed to fight under the Geneva Convention, laws of armed conflict, rules of engagement, etc. They're not in uniform. Uh, they're using civilians as a sort of defensive shield. Uh, they're definitely operating out of places like hospitals and schools and so on. Uh, and Israel is trying to do that. Uh, to counter that with, uh, you know, regular troops, uh, recognised military and so on. Um, but I think my concern is the lead. What we need is, is strategic leadership and wisdom in the leadership, which is obviously what we're talking about here. And my regret is that Netanyahu, I don't think, is providing that. Um, militarily, there's no doubt that Israel will succeed to a degree on the ground in terms of the land campaign and in the air operations, but they will not destroy Hamas. You do not destroy an idea. And you have to win a defeat on the battlefield, and you can you can do that to a large degree. But somehow the battle of ideas is what's going to have to be won here. And I'm not I'm not convinced that Netanyahu is the man to lead Israel through this, and more importantly, post post the fighting. And do you think Hamas had intended that other Arab nations might get involved and are disappointed they haven't so much? Yes, definitely. I think Hamas has sprung a trap, which Israel has fallen for. And the reason for that trap was they had seen Israel over the last few years get good relationships, well, relatively good relationships with a number of Arab nations, 
And of course, Saudi Arabia were already beginning or also beginning to make those moves. And Hamas, I think, felt them, felt that people were now losing support. They were losing support. People were ignoring, not ignoring them, but forgetting about them, etc. And that many of, if not most of the Middle Eastern states, which we should remember back in 1948, 56, 67, 73, were fighting wars to get rid of Israel, to destroy the state of Israel. That, for most Arab nations now, that's gone, I think. I mean, Iran, obviously, is an exception to that. But Hamas's declared intent is to destroy Israel and to wipe it off the face of the, of the map. And they, they were not, you know, they were losing, they were losing that battle of ideas, if you like, within the Arab world. So I don't think there's any doubt that they had planned for quite a long time the operations on October the 7th, and they deliberately set out to do terribly horrific things, which Netanyahu and Israel as a whole, really, would not be able to ignore, and therefore would respond, and would respond by causing terrible casualties uh, that the Arab world as a whole would then regale against, and indeed the, the wider world would, would regale against. And in that, Hamas has been successful. I mean, as much as anything else, like all these modern campaigns, this is a media war, it's a uh, psychological battle, and so on and so forth. And um, we, you know, we know that Israel is getting a lot of, a lot of criticism, with, with, some, with, some, with some justification, it has to be said. But nonetheless, Israel has responded to the awful things that happened. And um, I think Hamas has, has, you know, they had, it was a trap and Hamas has sprung the trap and Israel have fallen for it in inverted commas. And it goes back to my earlier point. It, needs, it needed wisdom, leadership with wisdom that said, why has this happened? How should we respond? And I think to be fair, other nations, other, other leaders have tried to um, get Israel to understand, uh, you know, uh, bits and pieces of that, if you like. Sure. Well, there's lots, lots more could be said, I'm sure. But as we as we turn to Christian leadership, um, you've had 16 years or so of civilian life uh, and church life. Uh, I just wonder, maybe this is an obvious question, but how you feel having having led and been able to command situations to a very different world of leading within a church setting. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, this morning I was with three vicars. Uh, we're running a growing a, a growing leader course, which is was set up by James Lawrence, CPAS. I've run a number of them over the years. And um, one of the points I often make to, to church leaders, and it's, this is not being condescending or patronizing, I, ha- I believe leading a church is a really difficult leadership position, probably one of the most difficult, because you're not in a position to you know, give orders and all the rest of it. And you're dealing with, clearly, you're dealing with sub-staff members who are employed, but nonetheless, largely volunteers. And of course, people coming Sunday by Sunday with their spiritual issues. So it's definitely a different world in that sense. But the principles aren't that different. I mean, at the end of the day, the principles of military leadership, if you can come back to, are similar to those leading in businesses, uh, in charities, in churches. Um, Obviously, um, it, it is... Well, I have found aspects of it frustrating. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but you know, that's all right. I have, to, you know, I have, I have to learn. I'm no longer living in that military environment, and um, having to uh, adapt and recognise that, that this is a different, different environment to, to be leading in. But nonetheless, as I say the principles actually are not that different. And um, obviously, you, if you're leading in a battle situation, it's a, it's a very clear and obvious danger. You have a military strategy clearly on a spiritual level. Christians are also in a spiritual battle, but it doesn't, the immediacy of it all, unless there's any particular 
challenge doesn't seem as great. I just wonder if if that has 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 uh, impacted you at all in terms of our lack of urgency, perhaps in the spiritual battle we all face. Well, to a degree, but uh, you know, ultimately, what I'm about as a lay minister in the church and what the church is about and what what we're talking about here in terms of spiritual leadership is we're 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 giving people hope. We're trying to inspire people in a fallen and broken world, which I saw lots of, but we're seeing in reality again in Israel, Gaza, and of course in Ukraine, we're giving people hope and we're trying to move them from darkness into light, from from hell to heaven. You know, we're trying to draw them into the kingdom. Um, and that is an imperative that, frankly, I feel pretty strongly about. I, I do a lot of talks, I do quite a lot of preaching and, and speaking and so on. And my line is that we, that's exactly what I'm trying to, trying to say to people. My strap line for my business, I run a, I'm a director of a couple of companies and I'm a visiting professor at university and, or an honorary professor. And um, in addition to my charity, church and humanitarian work, my strap line is morally courageous leadership. And it's, it is about giving people a, a sense of what leadership looks like, but also about that the intent for all of us, the end state, if you like, is to draw people closer to the kingdom. Um, and that's, you know, I just love doing that. I mean, you quoted um, Paul writing to Timothy, not surprisingly, it's one of my favorite, you know, my two favorite uh, letters. And Paul says to Timothy, preach the gospel, preach the word in season and out of season, because there will be itching ears. Of, you know, people will hear what they want to hear. And our job is to get in there and to um, give people that sense of hope um, and, uh, you know, what it is that the kingdom looks like. And it's it's no surprise, of course, within the, the quote spiritual world or the church world, that the, the character is is a key dimension of uh, of, of our, our own growth. It's not something you have to necessarily um, argue for, because most Christians know that. And and you would say that character is a, a key dimension in whatever you're leading as well. I certainly would. I mean, I I was asked by some students at the university last week about this. We do live, you know, we live not just in a broken and fallen world in a, in a spiritual sense, but we do live in a world which is dominated by personality and image, uh, you know, in terms of celebrity status and all the rest of it. Um, and it's personality and image that wins the camera's eye, attracts the lovers, gets you into politics and all that sort of stuff. Um, but character is very different to that. Character is well, characters, the best definition I've ever heard of character is character is what we get up to in the dark when we don't think anybody's watching. And um, it has been defined, uh, Aristotle defined it as a daily choice of right instead of wrong. And it's a much deeper issue than personality and image. Personality and image, you know, relaunch the product, present things in a slightly different way, um, you know, and all of that stuff. Character is an enduring day by day decision to be deeper than, than personality and image. And, it, you know, we fail at that. I fail at that on a you know, constant basis. But nonetheless, we, we want to be, um, you know, we want to be deeper and more solid than, than just personality and image. And um, I just think character. And, of course, the Bible talks about perseverance leading to character, which leads um, to, um, you know, all the other things, all the other attributes that, um, that we seek to be as leaders. Tim, you mentioned your your business and you, your charitable interests. Um, the, the, what kind of tools have you found helpful, either books or resources, that have um, you think have have enabled character to develop, but also the kind of leadership skills that need to develop in order for for Christians to thrive? 
Yeah, well, the, the growing leader course is one, and I've, I've taught a lot of that. And, and uh, uh, you know, as I say, we're doing one course now. The other area, the Global Leadership Network, um, which uh, was originally set up out of a church in America under Bill Hybels. Um, and Bill Hybels, one of Bill's great comments is the local church is the hope of the world, going back to my earlier point about hope. Uh, and and I've, I've attended online actually once physically in Chicago, the Global Leadership Network uh, sessions. And I found them really helpful. And they've had a number of, well, they have every year, they have some really interesting speakers. Now, sometimes these are the same themes, but presented in different ways with different stories that highlight and so forth. There's a guy called Patrick Lencioni, who's done some great stuff, uh, which I've used a lot. I, I do um, leadership development with businesses and so on. And um, his work on the five dysfunctions of a team, for example, what that looks like, how do you build teams and, and, and get teams to work together? Uh, I think has been really helpful, and the growing leadership, net, uh, the um, global leadership network in this country that's run picked up again post COVID had its first uh, first session last year. It's running again this year. In fact, we're going to run one of those sessions in my home church. Uh, I think has been really helpful. And then from us, you know, we can learn a lot from the secular world. I don't. There's a place called the Leadership Trust, which is based near Ross on Wye. Uh, I attended a leadership course there back in 1989 prior to taking up command of a battalion. And I ended up by being a trustee of the organization and a facilitator, a bleak tutor. Um, so, you know, some of the leadership models that, uh, that, you know, we can present to people to get people to learn about more themselves. The, the, the Leadership Trust's uh, definition of leadership, uh, which I think is very helpful, is leadership is winning the hearts and minds of people in order to achieve a common purpose. So it's about achieving, it's about a common purpose, and it's about winning hearts and minds. And interestingly, winning hearts first, which I think is absolutely right. Mm. Um, I mean, the simplest definition of leadership is leadership is influence, which is everybody. We, we're, that's why we're all leaders. We all influence people one way or the other. The issue is do we want to influence them for good? And we can all grow in our leadership. But one of the issues for the trust is learning more about ourselves, winning the hearts and minds, first of all, of ourselves, in order to win other people's hearts and minds which plays very strongly into the military world. Sun Tzu said 4,000 years ago or something like that, um, if you know yourself and you know the enemy, you need not fear the outcome of a 1,000 battles. And General Franks, who commanded 7 US Corps during the first Cold War, and I was a part of the 1st UK Armoured Division, uh, said that uh, commanders need to learn about themselves to gain valuable insights into themselves uh, in order that they are then going to command other people well. And I think that is a timeless principle of leadership. The first person we have to lead is ourselves. And it's a gut business. It's a heart business as well as and, and more important than a mind business. So there's a lot of stuff in there. But, but you know, we, so my point is, I think, as much as anything, we can learn, you know, from secular leadership models, all of which are flawed. As Denison, I think it was once said, all, all models are flawed, but some are useful um, from, from secular leadership models. But we can certainly lean, learn from um, you know, Christian leadership courses like the Global Leadership Network and the Growing Leaders course and, and, and courses like that. Fabulous. And, and Tim, when we spoke last, I think uh, many years ago, in fact, you, you spoke about the importance of knowing the men that you you serve with or you led, yeah. um, not just their names, but actually a little bit more about them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. I should say, I was just glancing up, actually, my, right next to my desk, I've got a, a picture 
uh, of a sort of funny picture of people around a, a board of directors meeting, all leaning over, shouting at each other and so forth. And um, underneath it said, God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. <laughs> Leadership is, you know, we're accountable. Leaders are accountable. And, and at the end of the day, it, you know, you can't lead by committee, in my view. Um, but going back to your point on link to that is that people often ask me, what was my my favorite or best command? I mean, I commanded a bomb disposal team in Northern Ireland as a captain. I commanded a, a squadron or company of about 105 blokes. And it was blokes in those days, I have to say. A battalion of three or 400, a brigade of 4,000, a division of 30,000. The one that I look back on with much, um, you know, as much joy as anywhere else is the company level, the 100 and odd blokes, 105 blokes that, that I had the privilege of leading. And I knew them all by name. I knew their families. I knew their, the, the situation they were in. Um, they were a community. And the best definition I've ever heard, I think it's a Jonathan Sachs definition, actually, is a community is where people know you by name and miss you when you're not there, which is a great definition for a church or for any, any community. Uh, it's a place where people know you by name and miss you when you're not there. And I knew every one of those soldiers by name. And walking around in the morning with my sergeant major, I could suddenly say, you know, where's Corporal Snodgrass this morning? I haven't seen him. Is he okay? Uh, to which sergeant major may say, well, his wife's ill at the moment, or she's pregnant, or they've just had a child, or whatever. Uh, and, you know, you, you had that intimacy. Now, and one of the lessons from Sandhurst, the hat badge of the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst, is serve to lead. And we, we are taught, I was taught at Sandhurst, to love your soldiers. And loving your soldiers has a different connotation, I think, in today's world. But, you know, what it meant was you served them. And you serve them by knowing them and understanding them and knowing their situations and their families and their, you know, their ups and downs. Um, and that's it was a terrific, terrific tour. And you then move in that sense, you move from leading, which uh, General Rupert Smith, who I served with a lot over the years, fantastic military commander, commanded first armor division in the first Gulf War, uh, commanded in uh, uh, overall in Northern Ireland, ended up as deputy sacker. Uh, commanded in, in the Balkans, Sarajevo, and so on. Uh, Rupert used to distinguish between leading, which was, come with me, we are going into battle together. Come with me. Commanding is when you are, I am sending you into battle, but I can't be there with you. And leading at company battalion level, and indeed for me, brigade level, when I was in the Balkans, did a couple of tours in the Balkans, which you alluded to, uh, I was with the blokes there. But as a divisional commander, I was sending people to Afghanistan and to Iraq. And it is a very different business. And that intimacy is not there. And if you're going to send people into battle, you need to know that you're sending them on a just cause. But you're also sending them with the resources and the understanding of what it is that needs to be achieved and, and that they're, you know, they're, they're capable of doing it. That leadership piece of intimacy, understanding your people and going with them, not just in a military environment, but going with them into the battles of life whether that's in a company or a church or, you know, a charity or, or wherever else. That was very powerful, Tim, and, and interesting how so similar the New Testament principles in the Gospels of Jesus, are, are, you know, are, and forged into, into military understanding as well. Um, yeah. Tim, you, you will probably have a different perspective to most of us when you talk about admiring leaders because you have a, you know, you, you've seen, you know, the, the ups and downs of life in, the, in a war zone. Well, who, who would you admire? Um, when you reflect upon uh, contemporary leaders? Well, I think um, I'll go back one rather than ju just contemporary today, but 
uh, Field Marshal Bill Slim, who commanded in the Far East in the, in the Second World War, um, has written some great stuff. And he talks about the moral leadership as opposed, uh, sorry, moral courage as opposed to physical courage. And in doing that, he, you know, he clearly is coming from a Christian perspective and, and, and uh, lays that out. What does moral courage look like? Why is it different to physical courage? Which we can come back to if you want to. But And then Montgomery talks about the fact that he, he reckons you could not lead an army or a division or even single men and women unless you had a sense of spiritual truth is what he talked about. Actually, funny enough, I was, well, funny enough, I was preaching at the church at Binstead where Monty is buried. Um, and he was a man who, you know, he knew his scriptures. Actually, one of the funniest stories about Monty is in briefing some of his commanders, he is reputed to have said, um, and as Jesus once said, and I might say I agree with him here, <laughs> he, he was a very, many ways a very arrogant man, but he had a great sense of spiritual truth. Um, so, you know, those were great commanders from World War II. Um, I've worked with Rupert Smith, I mentioned, General Mike Jackson and others over the last t- 10 or 15 years. I've got a huge respect for them and then you you know at the other end of, not the other end of the spectrum but you know outside of that you look at people like Mandela and uh, Desmond Tutu uh, and you can't help but be amazed really at, at their character at their ability to forgive and to pull and draw people together and move them from darkness to light to want to move them from the hell of apartheid and, and all that that could have happened you know the civil war that could easily have emerged from all of that period and yet move them uh, away from that. So, yeah, the military side, there's there's obviously this is- issue that lives are at stake, literally lives are at stake. And Montgomery felt very powerfully about that. He wrote about the fact that he's, he almost had nightmares about the soldiers he sent into battle who didn't, you know, who didn't survive. Um, but he had this great sense of the need for spiritual truth as people, as I say, like, like um, Bill Slim, um, and I've worked alongside, having said that, I've worked alongside leaders in various operations. There's a guy called Ian Jury, who was a major general, commanded the artillery in the first Gulf War. I was then a brigadier. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was a colonel. He was then a brigadier. Ian and I sat in the desert praying together, reading the Bible by moonlight. Um, but Ian was a wonderful man, a very, very deeply committed Christian man and he would pray heartily for our enemy and for our commanders and for a good outcome and so on to the to the campaigns that we were involved with together. Sadly he was killed in a car crash in Romania working for a Christian organization. He had some great stories to tell. And he would talk about the fact that most people became Christians by traveling up the M1 or the M2. Have you heard this? No, I haven't, no. <laughs> tell M1, me more. The M1 is the Damascus Road. One uh-huh. M Damascus. <laughs> Going back to my heart and head business I mentioned earlier in the leadership trust definition, Damascus Road is an emotional issue, an emotional moment in your life where you meet the risen Lord. And, um, I, you know, I, we could have share lots of stories about, about I know lots of people who've, do, who've done that. And to a degree, that's how I became a Christian. The M2 is the Emmaus Road, two M's in the word Emmaus. Okay, and yeah. that's when Jesus opens the scriptures and explains to the disciples why what happened, the two guys walking back home after the events over the Easter weekend, explains to them why what happened had to happen. So that's a head-driven intellectual analysis, if you like, of Scripture. And um, to be honest, I don't think it's one or the other, although often it can be. For me, it was a bit of both, having visited the garden tomb and been struck by the, the empty tomb and so on. 
And the reality is for most of my life, I've been going around around the M25, going nowhere spiritually. So, <laughs> so you know, convincing myself to get off it. But Ian was a great guy. He had a great um, sense of spiritual truth. He had a great sense of survey, service, serving the soldiers he had the privilege to command, but also serving ultimately, you know, our commander in chief, the good Lord. And uh, he knew his scriptures and he was never afraid to talk about it with his soldiers and they loved him, and uh, he led them so brilliantly. Oh, fabulous, Tim. Well, t- time's almost defeated us, but uh, if there was a, a book for you, for you to leave with us, as in a, you know, something that we would uh, benefit from in terms of Christians and leadership, what would uh, would there be anything in particular that you would uh, point to? Well, I'll tell you, I'm looking up in my... I mean, there's, there's books like Courageous Le- Leadership by Bill Hybels, and, you know, those sort of stuff, which are quite well-known. Forgive me a second, so I lean sure. up. Um Thief, Prisoner, Soldier, Priest by a guy called Paul Cowley. Thief, Prisoner, Soldier, Priest. Paul is a great mate of mine. We do some work in prison together. And um, I get him to come and do various talks and things we share. You know, we get each other to do that. Paul, it's a great book to read about a man who was rescued from broken home and all sorts of other stuff. Ended up in prison, joined the army, and then... um, found the Lord, basically. A wonderful story. He was a boxer and uh, he was resisting. He was, he was, his father was, an, both his parents were alcoholics and he was, you know, he'd lived a brutal life really. But he tells a story of, of uh, sitting and it was on an alpha weekend which somebody had managed to talk him to go on to, but he was resisting it. He didn't, he didn't want to be drawn into any of this stuff. And he then had a picture, vision, whatever you want to, you know, words you want to use, of a boxing ring with him in one corner and another bloke in the other corner. And boxing, of course, you get out there and you win. And he said, I just heard the Lord say to me, throw in the towel, Paul, and just submit yourself to me. And he said I, he found himself weeping, and it was just turned his life around. It was, it's, an, it's a great story, very encouraging story. And, um, you know, he's then gone on to, to, uh, to lead. He became, he, he became ordained, and he's doing a lot of good work in prisons. He's working with Iceland at the moment, visiting prisons, and prisoners who are in their last six months and uh, and getting them, some of them to be employed by Iceland who are employing ex-prisoners, which is great. So it's a very, you know, it's a very um, reality, heart, you know, feed on the ground type leadership story as opposed to just, you know, laying out principles and all of that other stuff that we can read. Not that that's not important, but but I, I love Paul Daly. He's a great guy. It's a great story and very encouraging. Well, Tim, thank you so much for for your time uh, this afternoon and for all that you've um, you, know, you bring to the the leadership game in terms of your uh, lecturing and your uh, encouragement of of Christians in leadership and particularly within within the global leadership network. So, thank you. Not at all. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Andy. It was super to chat with Tim Cross. He's retired major general with the British Army. Uh, that book again that he mentioned was Thief. Prisoner, Soldier, Priest by Paul Cowley. I look forward to your company again next week. This is Andy Peck, your host, saying bye for now. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.